Welcome to the Next Level Human Podcast. As a human, you have a job to do. In fact, you have four jobs. To earn and manage money, to attain and maintain health and fitness, to build and sustain personal relationships, to find meaning and make a difference. None of these jobs are taught in school. And that is what this podcast is designed to do. To educate us all on living our most fulfilled lives through the mastery of these four jobs. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Tita, and I believe we are here living this life for three reasons and three reasons only. To learn, to teach, and to love. In this podcast, I will be learning, teaching, and loving right along with you. I'm grateful to have your company. Here's to our next level. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to today's show. Today, we're going to be talking about science. We're going to be talking about vaccines, and we're going to be talking about some of the variants. Now, I know a lot of us are getting a little bit tired of this topic, and I really didn't want to do another one of these things on COVID, but I'm getting all the questions from you in terms of my take on the vaccines and everything that's going on. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but we kind of have two camps that have emerged, right? We've got the pro-vaccine people and we've kind of got the anti-vaccine people. And both of those uh, groups are demonizing the other group. And that's not what I want to do here. I don't think that's the point of... um, you know, any podcast really that is trying to educate people. And I don't think it's in the spirit of uh, the next level human ethos to um, be bringing judgment and vitriol. What we really want to do is just educate each other on um, what's going on uh, with this situation so that people can make their own decisions. Now, I have my opinion and I'll share my opinion with you, but I think it's very important to um, understand that An opinion should never become an identity and an opinion should never be something that uh, we use to dehumanize other human beings. We have to make our own decisions. We also have to contend with what is going on in the environment and the world. And our decisions oftentimes will have uh, ramifications and we can't always uh, sort of predict or um understand what other people will do. Um, But we do know that our choices, whatever choice we make, can have uh, ramifications and can have consequences. And so I want to talk about all of this. But the first thing I want to do is talk about science in general, because one of the things that has happened is there's seems to be this discussion around science as if science is political Um, as if science is um, up for debate, as if science is opinion. And I've done podcasts on this before. If you look back into the episodes, I forget which episodes they are, but I know I did one on good thinking and I did one on understanding science. And so those you should review if you're interested in the discussion on science. But let's talk about this Um, Just a minute. Science really is uh, dramatically misunderstood, in my opinion. Um, Unfortunately, we have people who are, you know, illiterate when it comes to understanding what science actually is. So the way 
to look at this is to understand science as a process. It's not a thing. It's a process. In other words, science um, looks over the long run. It is a process of discovering truth. And so when we think about scientific research, it's about exploring all sides of an idea or a hypothesis or a situation. And so when people talk about research and science, and they oftentimes say the science shows, this is um, an unfortunate way to talk about it. By the way, even I use this language sometimes because it's just easier to think about it that way. But true scientists and a true scientific mind is not talking about one aspect of the science. It's talking about all of the science. So, for example, if you're listening to someone who's pro-vaccine um, or pro-mask, and all they are doing is discussing things that are pro-vaccine and pro-mask, you should be suspect. Just as if, if you're listening to someone who has an anti-vaccine stance or an anti-mask stance, you should be suspect. And the reason why is because science does not take these kinds of positions. Science is not pro or anti anything. If it's pro or anti anything, or if it's pro anything, it's just pro the data, right? It looks at the data and says, what does the data tell us? And what's unfortunate about that is data is always emerging. We're always gathering more data, and we do need a certain amount of data to get to the truth. And so one of the things that you can look at right away if you want to understand whether the person you look to for information is really doing science, you should look to see, are they explaining and exploring the things that disagree with their personal opinion? For example, if we're going to talk about masks, we can have a very nuanced conversation and science will. For example, do masks work or not? Well, what would, what would a true scientific process uh, look at as we're having this conversation? Well, we'll say, well, what are we talking about? Are we talking about um, someone who's sick wearing a mask to get other people sick? Is that the question we're trying to answer? Or are we talking about someone who's not sick trying to keep from getting sick from people who are sick? Those are two different lines of research. They're, that context matters because masks work a whole lot better with someone who is sick to protect them or to protect others from getting sick by them, right? It work, they work less well based on the data if someone who's not sick is wearing them to try to keep from getting sick. They work both ways, by the way, looking at the totality of the data, but they work far less well when someone is wearing them to keep from getting sick versus someone who is sick wearing them to keep from making people sick, if that makes sense. So a true scientist is going to understand that particular distinction. A true scientist is also going to understand the distinction of, okay, well, what kind of mask are we talking about? Are we talking about uh, N95 masks? You know, uh, are we talking about um, cloth masks? Are we talking about surgical masks? And what context are we talking about? Are we talking about indoors, outdoors, in a clinical, uh, you know, hospital setting or in a home? All of this stuff matters. And what what infectious agent are we talking about? Are we talking about the flu? Are we talking about uh, SARS-CoV-2? Are we talking about some other virus? 
and we need to understand how viruses spread. So this is the discussion that needs to happen around science. And frankly, people simply do not want to have these discussions because this is a very gray discussion, isn't it? There's a lot of different parameters at play when we're really looking at the science. And if you really want to answer a complex question about do masks work, you have to understand all these different, uh, you know, sort of uh, questions around masks, the type of mask, the context of the mask, whether or not, you know, the person sick is wearing the mask or the people who aren't sick are wearing the mask and everything kind of in between. And then you go look at the data. So when we're talking about science, once again, it's a process. It doesn't have a political point of view or an opinion. It's simply looking at the data. And by the way, in the scientific process, there's a back and forth. There's an up and down. Not all scientific papers are exactly the same. Not all data will show the exact same thing. And so it takes time. In fact, I have said this throughout the COVID pandemic. We're going, every single person who has uh, been looking at the research is going to be wrong in some way, shape, or form because we do not yet have all of the data. And so you can right away see how frustrating it can be for everyone involved, including the true experts who are trying to make um, the best decisions possible for public health. So the point is a lot is going to be left to be un, uh, sort of uh, unknown or figured out along the way. Now, if science is, is data driven, we have to give time for the data. And by the way, we've been in the pandemic now for about a year and a half, right? Or yeah, just on a year and a half now. And we have an awful lot of data and a lot of the data, you know, a lot of people would say the data is in. Right. That doesn't mean we don't want to keep looking because there's a lot we still don't understand. The other hint here is that single scientific studies in and of themselves may not do much for the data overall. What we need is we need lots of studies and lots of high quality studies. Now, in science, the highest quality studies are what are known as randomized controlled trials preferably randomized placebo-controlled trials, which essentially means one group gets the intervention and the other group does not, and the intervention is the only thing that has changed. For example, one group gets the vaccine, another group doesn't. One group wears masks, another group doesn't. And then you see and sit back and watch to see what has happened. Now, the data has told us several things. With at least the vaccine now, we're seeing very clearly that the people who are not vaccinated are getting sick and uh, more, more sick. They're getting more infections. They're getting, when they do get sick, the sickness is worse. They are getting hospitalized more and they are the ones dying. In fact, if you look at the data, um, I just was looking at a recent, you know, sort of uh, review of the data on vaccines. And basically, 99.99% of vaccinated individuals are not getting infected or having very mild infections only. Very, 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 very few of these people are, are ending up in hospitals or uh, being, uh, you know, succumbing to COVID-19. But they're with the new Delta variant, which we'll talk about here in a minute, you're seeing that the people who are aren't vaccinated 
are getting sicker and the ones who are ending up in the hospital and the ones who are dying more. And you can kind of see this in the data. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can just go and look at the data. And by the way, when you search the data, the way to do that is not to say, not to search things like masks don't work or vaccines don't work because that's just going to feed back to you your bias or masks work or, or vaccines work. That will feed back your bias. The best way to do it is to go um, and look and say something along these lines. Which state has the highest vaccination uh, percent? Which states don't? Um, based on that, which states have the highest death rates and the highest hospitalization rates? And you'll start to be able to do your own uh, you know, sort of evaluation here, asking the question, what is going on with the data? And you don't have to just do states if you're American. I know a lot of you live over in Europe who listen to this podcast or the UK. You can go to different countries, which countries have the highest vaccination rates. And of those countries, uh, who and which countries have the highest death rates and the highest infection rates? Of course, looking at things like uh, population density and things like that. For example, Los Angeles, uh, you know, um, New York City, uh, Miami, some of these big cities are always going to have higher amounts of infections uh, simply because people are more closely packed together. So especially if you start seeing in rural counties and rural places where people aren't densely packed, that they have higher percents of their population getting sick, this starts to raise red flags. And then you want to go back and say, well, what is the difference here? What is happening? Why? Who's dying? And this then tells us what is uh, the truth here as we sort of get into the truth of what the science says. Now, of course, other questions come up, right? So if we're talking about vaccinations, which will sort of get into the vaccination process, then you kind of want to say, okay, well, what percent of people are vaccinated? What percent of people are getting sick? What percent of vaccinated people are getting sick? What percent of unvaccinated people are getting sick? And how sick are they getting? And again, all of this will lead you to very clear conclusions now, because in a very real sense, we are in the middle of a real world uh, randomized controlled trial. In other words, because so many people have opted not to get the vaccine, and because, you know, essentially it's really like half and half in the United States, right? Depending on, you know, if you look at all over the population, you can kind of see, okay, well, we can now see that certain people have gotten the vaccine, certain people have not, and we can now go and look at death rates and things like that. Now, of course, we also should be looking at the other side. What science does is science doesn't assume that just because the vaccine, for example, might be helping people survive COVID, that it doesn't have its own um, potential problems. And maybe, uh, and perhaps based on the context, maybe it's not something that um, is smart to do for certain segments of the population. These are answers that we need, are questions we need answers to. Unfortunately, we don't have a great way of looking at this. A lot of people have made a lot about um, the uh, VAERS system. The, um, this is the system that we use to evaluate whether or not vaccines are having harmful effects in the general population. Well, a lot, what a lot of people don't understand is that that's not actually a scientific process because VAERS, the vaccine 
um, sort of hotline, negative event hotline, is voluntary, right? So if my mother gets a vaccine and gets sick and, um, you know, ends up dying, let's say, uh, four days later, five days later, I might be someone who thinks it's the vaccine and therefore I'll call this into V-A-E-R-S. However, it could have been that she just had a heart attack and that it didn't have anything to do with the vaccine. And we wouldn't necessarily know. And so V-A-E-R-S is something that is voluntarily people call in and then the experts go in and check. And usually the numbers of actual deaths are much lower once you go and look, right? But that doesn't mean that vaccines aren't without risk. Of course, any medical procedure has risks. At that point, it's just a matter of looking at the data once again and saying, what are the chances of me getting sick, hospitalized, dying from COVID? Which, by the way, based on the numbers I looked at before, are about 1 in 20,000, I believe, if you are a younger person. And one and two thousand if you are an elderly person. Um, however, with the Delta variant, that's changing because what we're seeing with the Delta variant is that it's affecting people at a much higher rate in the 45 or less age range. And so we don't yet have that data. Now, you might say, well, that's pretty low numbers. One in 20,000, one in 2000. Um, that's your chances of potentially dying from the actual uh, virus. And then if you go and look and say, well, what are the chances of dying from the vaccine? Now we're talking about one in a million, one in, you know, um, I think I saw one statistic, one in 11 million. It's like, you know, you have a better chance, a much better chance of winning the lottery or getting struck by lightning. So far as we know right now. I'm sorry to break into the show, but I wanted to take a second to cover one of our sponsors and tell you all about Paleo Valley at paleovalley.com. These are the grass-fed sticks that I tell you all so much about that all of my friends know I have on hand constantly. They are in my car. They are at my house. I keep them at my sister's home and my parents' house. I have these things everywhere because they are the simplest, most convenient whole foods protein supplement you can get. Almost like carrying around pure protein, low-carb protein in your pocket. They also, these Paleo Valley beef sticks, are the only, the only 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef sticks on the market. They use organic spices. They are naturally fermented Instead of using nitrates and nitrites that can be a problem in some of these cured meats, and they simply taste fantastic. Check out the original or the jalapeno. Those are my favorites. Please make sure you go over to paleovalley.com and visit. When checking out, use the code next level for a 15% discount. Remember, our sponsors keep the show going by you giving them your patronage and spending your money on these high quality products. You actually do a few things. One, you're helping to support the podcast. And two, you are helping your health. And three, you are making sure that good quality companies like Paleo Valley can be out there doing their business, 
changing the world, making the earth better. One of the things you may not know about this is that grass-fed organic and grass-finished beef is doing something that is so utterly important for our environment, actually helping to repopulate the topsoil. A lot of people don't know this, but our topsoil is being extremely depleted and raising animals, especially cattle, the correct way helps to get that topsoil back. This is one of the reasons why I love Paleo Valley, not to mention it tastes fantastic, but they're one of these companies like my other sponsors, Cured Nutrition and Organifi, that are doing the right things by the environment. I really appreciate everything they do, and I hope you will check them out. Thanks so much. Paleovalley.com. Use the code next level. And now back to the show. It is time to talk about one of our sponsors, our earliest sponsor, Cured Nutrition. This is a CBD company. Cured Nutrition is another one of those next level human companies that is doing amazing things in the world. Let me tell you a little bit about one of the things I've been doing with CBD here recently. There is some really interesting research showing that chronic cannabis users, these are people who are smoking marijuana, are actually down-regulating the cannabinoid 1 receptor. Well, guess what the cannabinoid 1 receptor is involved in? Well, it's involved in cravings and hunger. And there is some really interesting mouse research that shows mice given products that lower CB1 or being engineered with a lower CB1 activity actually eat less and are not obese as a result of that. And so I have been experimenting using CBD to lower hunger, to downregulate the CB1 receptor just the way chronic cannabis users tend to be very thin. And it has been working very well. Now, of course, the other thing that I use this for and have used it for, for since day one is uh, Cured Nutrition has a product called Zen that is a mix of magnesium and CBD and some other really nice formulations in there that I use to help me sleep. I have notoriously bad sleep. My sleep still is not perfect, but the Cured Nutrition product Zen has made a big difference to helping me sleep better. And that is just huge. Now, of course, they have other products. They also have a product called Rise, which I do not use, but I have used in the past. It is great for those people who like to have a pick-me-up in the morning to focus better. So Zen and Rise are fantastic, but any of their CBD products used for downregulation of the CB1 receptor to help with hunger and cravings, if you're one of these people who is constantly overeating and on a diet, you find that, hey, when I'm on a diet, I get this crazy sort of hunger and cravings. This may be something you want to check out. So check out CuredNutrition.com. Use the code next level. I get a kickback to help us have these discussions on the show. It's a great way for me to be able to do this work. So thank you for Cured Nutrition for that. Of course, Cured Nutrition gets the sale and you get to work with a fantastic company that gets results with their supplements. I hope you will check them out. CuredNutrition.com. Use the code NEXTLEVEL. And now let's go ahead and get back to the show. Let's do it. Now that does not mean that... Um, you know, we have all the data, you know, that are clear right now, but we can see if you go take an honest look at the data that one of these things is far more likely to happen than the other. 
This is how we want to be doing science and thinking about vaccines. And so the question I get asked all the time is, Jade, are you pro-vaccine? Are you anti-vaccine? Now, I've done a whole podcast on this, but I'll give you the same answer that I've been giving everyone. I don't like that distinction at all, because if you ask me, I would say, well, I'm both pro and anti. I'm pro-vaccine because I understand the science. I am trained as a bio, uh, biochemist. I have a background in medicine. I understand how these vaccines work. I'm trained uh, to a degree in looking at the data. I have colleagues who are uh, virologists and immunologists that study this thing every day that have explained the technology to me in the parts that I did not understand. I am very confident in the science and understand the science. And so the science doesn't scare me. Vaccines don't scare me, despite knowing that there is some risk with any medical procedure, including vaccines. So I am pro-vaccine. And if I had it my way, if I would I think it's a good idea for everyone to get the vaccine. However, I'm anti-vaccine in the sense that I am not somebody who likes the idea of mandates and someone mandating that everyone has to get the vaccine. And the reason why is because we don't know people's extenuating circumstances. Someone who has autoimmunity, someone who, um, you know, has uh, is prone to uh, drug reactions and anaphylaxis. There are people for which, you know, mandating a vaccine can be more dangerous than others. You know, uh, this is important. Besides the fact that me personally, I don't love the idea of the government stepping in and mandating anything. For me, I think that just like freedom of speech, I might not love what you say, but I would fight for your right to say it. I think we each of us humans needs to have autonomy over our bodies and be able to make a decision about what we will do and, and sort of have uh, in terms of what we choose to do to our bodies. That being said, though, the government also has a role in protecting its citizens. So do independent businesses. So as much as I hate this, we're in a position where you're going to start having businesses make decisions around, and you're seeing this already, um, around who, who their workers are and who they want around and who they want to hire and who can get on a plane and what countries are going to let other countries in. And because of the ramifications, both legally and economically, of the SARS-CoV-2 situation, you're going to start seeing many businesses are going to require vaccination cards. You're going to probably have to show those on airplanes. You're going to have to show that you were vaccinated. Um, and this, I know, is bothersome and worrisome, and no one likes this situation. But because so many people have opted out of getting a vaccine, we're not going to get a handle on this particular situation. And that means that independent businesses and the government are going to, um, and when I say the government, I mean people who work in government. Because ultimately, we should be able to, in my mind, and by the way, this is an opinion, you may share it or you may not, and it's great discussion points. We should not be afraid to disagree. But from my perspective, I think uh, having the freedom to choose what you do to your body is important, but it also comes with consequences, right? Um, just like people who got vaccines, if we somehow find out five years from now that that vaccine is causing increased risk of certain diseases, then that is a consequence of that choice. Just like people who choose not to get the vaccine, 
part of the consequence of their choice might be um, having uh, contracting COVID, getting sick from COVID, dying from COVID. We now know 20% of individuals who get infected with COVID will have some degree of long COVID that can last months or years. And by the way, the definition definition of long COVID or long hauler syndrome in the research is COVID symptoms and sequelae, which is just a word that says um, adverse events as a result of getting the infection of greater than 12 weeks is considered long COVID uh, or a long hauler. And we're seeing many people are having many, many issues, including children, up to 20% are having issues, long-term health consequences from getting this virus, which changes the conversation a little bit, doesn't it? Because we have this situation where it's like, well, it's one thing if I think I'm healthy and I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to die from this virus. But it's another thing if I, as a result of just getting infected, I have a 20% chance of having long-term, you know, months and years issues and perhaps, perhaps lifetime issues as a result of getting this infection. And I do want to say something here because a couple things uh, come up when you start listening to people talk about this particular situation. One of the things that comes up is people will oftentimes say, our immune system, if we're just, if we just have a healthy immune system, we shouldn't worry about the virus. And this is absolutely unequivocally not true. Um, what we know uh, from evolutionary anthropology is that if there is one thing that has been the most dangerous thing for humans throughout our history, it is infectious disease. In fact, it is the thing that has been the number one killer of humans throughout history. It was not until the advent of sanitation, antibiotics, and vaccines, those three things in combination, that we were able to dramatically decrease death rates, mortality rates, which means death, and morbidity rates, which means things like, you know, becoming crippled from polio or things like that, where it's like you're not dead, but because you got the virus, you have severe limitations. And so mortality and morbidity were dramatically decreased once we understood sanitation, antibiotics came out on and uh, vaccines came. These three things together have probably saved more human lives than anything in the history of the world. Those three things, no matter how wonderful and amazing, and obviously I'm a natural medicine provider, I believe in the wisdom of metabolism and uh, the immune system. But uh, remember, just as amazing as our immune system is, so is the immune system and the ingenuity of other things in nature, including vaccine or viruses and bacteria. And so these things can kill healthy people. They do kill healthy people and they have killed health and SARS-CoV-2 has killed healthy people. Now, the other thing around that is there's been a lot of healthism that has been going on here in regards to um, you know, this situation. And it's not helpful to anyone. Think about it. I once had a conversation with a family member who um, basically was talking about this idea that um, a lot of the Jews, let's say, in the Holocaust were sick anyway. And the implication there was like, well, they were sick, they were going to die. So what was the big deal? Which is a horrifying statement from my point of view to hear something like that. Well, that's a lot of what's going on now, right? It's basically saying, well, if people aren't healthy, then that's on them. Well, the fact that 
healthy people are dying anyway. And the fact that even if someone wanted to get healthy, and let's say this whole SARS-CoV-2 thing has scared them into eating better, exercising more, and they've completely changed their lifestyle. How long do you think that takes? For someone who's diabetic, obese, has an autoimmune condition or something like that, I've worked with these people my whole career. You know how long that can take? It takes six months at a minimum to a few years to regain their health, and that's doing everything right. So the idea that we're just going to let unhealthy people get sick is an atrocious idea from my point of view and not a very next level human way of looking at this. And so we have to look at this, all of these situations when we, we, uh, we begin to have these discussions. It's very, very important in my mind that we are, we don't dehumanize people. We don't judge humans. We just tell a true account of the data and the science and ask the real questions so that we can all be educated here. So a healthy person can get sick. Healthy people have gotten sick. Healthy people can die. What does the data say? Well, we're starting to see that at least as it pertains to SARS-CoV-2, the data are in on vaccines. They are absolutely saving lives. And if you don't believe me, go and look. Just go and look. But don't forget that they also potentially have negative consequences for certain segments of the population. And we may find out later that they are doing things that aren't as desirable as we thought. Perhaps we'll find out that they increase the risk of certain autoimmune diseases or cancers or things like that. These are all things that we don't know. So we have to give a charity to people who are skeptical. We have to not demonize people and not judge people, but help educate them in a way that creates dialogue, in a way that helps people make better informed decisions, including around the potential ramifications of getting vaccines or not getting vaccines and some of the responsibility and consequences that come with that. For example, not being able to go to certain places, not being able to travel, or perhaps having a negative reaction to a vaccine or all these kind of things. Now, let's talk a little bit about variants really quickly so people understand what is happening here. Viruses mutate very quickly. And by mutate, what I mean is they change. So when a virus infects us, it uses, one of the things about a virus is it doesn't have its own ability to replicate. So it uses our metabolic machinery to replicate itself. And when it replicates itself, it creates many, many different variations. These are the variants, right? So you think about a virus replicating in a human body that it's infected. The idea is to keep that person alive long enough to replicate enough of itself to shed the virus to go and infect other people. This is how the virus survives. And in that process, there's a game of cat and mouse that happens. There's the infected person's immune system, which is trying to predict and adapt and try to figure out what the virus is doing so it can attack it and recognize it. And then there's the virus trying to play cloak and dagger and shield itself from the immune system. And so the virus is constantly making many, many different variants of itself. Now, most of those variants are not viable. In fact, the vast majority of them are less infectious or not infectious at all compared to the original virus. But some can be more infectious, more infectious and more deadly. 
And this is what has happened with some of these variants, including the Delta variant. And by the way, if everyone got infected and or everyone got a vaccine, and by the way, getting infected or getting a vaccine is a way of helping the immune system. And a vaccine is not an unnatural thing. The vaccine is very much like getting a real infection without the uh, disease causing aspects of that infectious agent in there so that the body can mount an immune response, make lots of different immune cells that can recognize many different types of viral variants. And so it's really this game of cat and mouse. That's why you either want to get infected and or get the vaccine. In fact, what would be probably best if you ask me, Jade, what would I prefer? Well, I prefer to get infected um, and have some of that immune stimulation there, hoping that I'm not one of these 20 percent has long COVID or one of these, you know, uh, you know, shots in the dark that gets hospitalized or, or gets you know, killed from it but also the vaccine on top of it, because both of these allow me to have more immune power in a sense and use my immune system to catch any variants that might uh, come around. And we will know in the short run, or I'm sorry, in the long run, not in the short run, we're gonna know how effective um, some of these things are going to be. Like we don't really know yet how long does immunity last to the vaccines and or getting infected. But the variants are troubling. And by the way, if we all got the vaccine or infected, there would be less chance of the variants coming up. And so it is true that the vaccine is protective. If everyone got the vaccine, it would be protective against creating a, a several of these variants. We might not have the Delta variant had we had the vaccine sooner and we got 80% of people vaccinated. And so we are in for potential trouble here with the idea that so many people are choosing not to get vaccinated because there may be more and more variants that come around and there could be one that's even more deadly. I was talking to a friend of mine who was on a podcast previously. She's an immunologist and virologist who specializes in HIV. And she was telling me that her and a lot of her colleagues are you know worried they don't think it's likely but it is possible that there is a very deadly variant that pops up if we don't get a handle on this soon um, and that would be a devastating situation a lot of these people i talk to who are immunologists and virologists um, they oftentimes talk about that as bad as SARS-CoV-2 is it's kind of we're kind of lucky it could be worse it could be way way worse and this is a worry for people who are, you know, understand the, the immune system and virology in particular. And so this is the, the whole thing behind the variants. Now, one of the things about the, the effectiveness of vaccines is um, they are will have more or less effectiveness based on the different kinds of variants that were out there that they were made against. For example, most of the vaccines were um, uh, dealing with the original SARS-CoV-2 virus and didn't necessarily uh, use the spike protein from the Delta variant or the UK variant or the South African variant, etc. And so this is a potential issue with vaccines uh, in the future. It's sort of like a flu vaccine, which, by the way, I've never gotten a flu vaccine because the flu in my mind is, uh, well, not in my mind. It's far less infectious. And by the way, if you want to understand the uh, 
how this works is a number in research on viruses called the R naught number. And the R naught number is the number of people on average that a person who got infected with the virus will infect other people. And so for the flu, depending on which stat you're looking at, it's between one and 1.5. So if I got the flu, I would infect one other person, one and a half people, let's say. Now, the original SARS-CoV-2, they think that that number was two, two to four, where if I got it, I would infect two other people. So slightly more infectious, double the infectious uh, infection risk of the flu. Now, the Delta variant, they're thinking it's somewhere closer to four, four times more infectious than the flu. Now, what is... Um, Interesting about that is every one of us listening to this conversation right now knows someone every year who gets the flu, right? That's how infectious the flu is. We always, we either get it or we know someone who gets it. Now imagine something that's two to four times in, in, infectious as the flu, which means we're going to know multiple people who get it and we're far likely to get it. Now consider the fact that the original SARS-CoV-2 is more deadly than the flu, and that this Delta variant is more deadly than the original SARS-CoV-2. And now you start to see we have a big problem on our hands. Now, some people have made, uh, rightly so, if you're really looking at the data, you might see that the data were certainly not anywhere near the infections that we had back in December, right? Like in um, January, February 2021, we were having uh, a really bad time of it. about 3,000 people in the United States were dying every day, which was like, you know, a 911 type event every single day. There's no, we're nowhere near that right now. However, the reason the WHO, CDC, all these organizations are very concerned is because when fall comes, we all are going to, and winter comes, we all move indoors. And once that happens, you get less airflow, you get less humidity, both of which means the infectious agent, which is mostly airborne, we know now, is going to be much, much more people are going to get infected, not to mention less sun exposure, less vitamin D. All the situation will be right for another huge uh, sort of um, ballooning surge of this illness. So they're trying to get a handle on that now. And the degree to which people make the choice to get vaccinated, if they feel that choice is right for them, the better off we all will be. So unfortunately, uh, lots of people who are getting vaccinated um, are the best line of defense for people who aren't getting vaccinated. And what we have to do is we have to, as humans, realize that we just need to do what we think is right for us. Now, if I had my way, I could snap my fingers and everyone would get a vaccine and no one would be harmed from it and everyone would be happy. That's not the world we live in right now, but we certainly don't want to lose our humanity over this sort of distinction here. But we will see lots of ramifications in our society as a result of people not having immunity, um, not choosing to get vaccinated. And again, no judgment, but it is something that does have consequences. So I'm going to end here because I've been going for a while. This to me is, um, I know some of you are probably asking, well, Jade, what are you, what, what are you going to cover what we can do? If you go back and look in the podcast, I will. And actually, let me, let me grab my phone here and I can tell you which episode that I did.
And also, if you look on my um, my Instagram feed, I've covered this as well in terms of things that uh, you can all do to protect yourself. Let's see if I can find the numbers so I can give you the episodes for those of you who want to go and look about more on this. Um, I think it's back around episode 100, but let me check real quick. All right, so episode 107, I did another, that was back at April 2nd. I did a COVID update and talked about vaccines and variants there. Uh, let's see, I think I did another one. You also may want to check out um, episode 98, which talks about using cold exposure and sauna therapies and hot and cold um, to help the immune system can be a really important one there. Uh, let's see. I did one with, uh, I want to find this one because I think it's an important one. Uh, episode 75, this is the one where I talked to Talia Mota, who's a immunologist and virologist. And so hopefully, uh, and there's other, other stuff you can find elsewhere, but what I would say is, please, when you're looking this stuff up, to the best that you can, try to maintain the law of charity. Try not to judge people who have gotten vaccinated or people who aren't vaccinated. Try to look at the data from all sides. Don't become hijacked by your opinion. Don't think that you're doing research if you're only exploring one side of the equation. You gotta look at all of the data. And I've just given you a hint. Go and look for yourselves. How many people have been vaccinated where? Um, who's wearing masks where, in what countries, in what states, and what are the rates of infection, what are the rates of serious illness, and what are the rates of death. And you will begin to have a picture painted for yourself that makes sense, that maybe can help you make a better decision. All right, thanks for hanging out on the podcast, and I will see you at the next episode. 